Moses said to the people in Deuteronomy chapter 6, And these words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your sons, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. Good morning and welcome to Real Truth for today. I'm your host, Pastor Jeff Shreve. I'm the pastor of First Baptist Church in Texarkana, Texas, and the founder of From His Heart Ministries. From His Heart Ministries is heard every weeknight at 6 p.m. Central Time right here on American Family Radio. Now, the, the goal of my ministry is to speak the truth in love to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. And today on the program, we want to talk about something that's kind of an interesting title, parental apologetics. You know, apologetics is the defense of the faith. And parents are to teach their children, as Moses commanded, to teach them Uh, the commands of God, uh, just as Moses said, teach these things diligently to your sons and talk about them uh, in the house all the time, not necessarily a formal teaching time, but just when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. Peter said, sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to anyone who asks you to give an account of the hope that is in that is within you, yet with gentleness and reverence. And so to help me in this discussion today, it is a great privilege of mine to have uh, a lady that I just put on the top shelf. She is... Uh, uh, just bold in her faith. She is smart. She is articulate. She has great scholarship. She is an award-winning radio host who is now retired. She may come out of retirement sometime when her kids are all grown and gone, but uh, that is the one and only Janet Meffer. Janet, welcome to Real Truth for today. I don't know who you're describing, Jeff, but it's awesome to be with you. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Okay, so you uh, you had a long career in radio, and uh, I loved listening to you because I knew I was going to get something from you that you had researched, that was going to be well-articulated, well-studied, and you weren't going to water it down or sugarcoat it. So help me understand uh, how you got formed. What was your early life like? When did you come to Christ, and what made you the person you are today? Wow, that's a pretty broad question. Well, I'll try (laughs) to water it down. I came to know the Lord when I was about six years old. Um, I heard the gospel from my Sunday school teacher, and I went home that night, and I asked Christ into my life, and I repented of my sins, and I gave my life to Him, and that was the beginning of following Jesus Christ. And it's been a wonderful life that God has given to me in so many ways, and I Um, Grew up in the Chicago area. I started in radio my freshman year at Baylor University. Just took an elective class in radio broadcasting, and that was kind of the beginning of it, and continued to work in Christian radio from then on, and uh, did uh, nationally syndicated Christian radio for 12 years. And now I'm just uh, deciding to take some time out and catch my breath a little bit and see what the Lord has next for me. Okay, so you met your husband at Baylor University, is that right? No, we met at a Christian radio station in Chicago, actually. Okay. He's, okay. he's a Chicago boy as well, so that was where we met. And then we ended up moving to the Dallas area when he went to law school. And so we've been here many, many years now. It's been great. Okay, so you go off to school uh, at Baylor University, and 
uh, you know, Baylor had been under fire, has been under fire for a long time from conservatives that say, okay, that you're not conservative enough, uh, especially in your religion department. Um, what did you experience there at Baylor? Well, it's so funny. I did not learn what conservative Christians really thought across the board about Baylor until I got to Texas and started to talk to some of them, including people who were attending Baylor themselves. And I, I loved my time at Baylor. I really did. But I did not realize uh, Baylor's position, uh, particularly among Southern Baptists and how people across the board felt about it and how they were concerned about its liberal theology, et cetera, et cetera. To me, coming from Chicago, it looked incredibly conservative. And it may sound kind of jarring to some people who have lived in the South all of their lives, but it is, Chicago is just not a bastion of uh, faithful Christianity. <laughs> it's just not. And I was fortunate to have a wonderful Christian home to grow up in and a solid church, but it looked really conservative to me when I came down there. I loved my time there. I think one of the things in retrospect that I would reflect upon during my time at Baylor was how the Lord used my time there to really shape me in a lot of ways. For example, I had come down to Baylor wanting to go in a particular direction with my major. It, it didn't go that direction. But the one thing that I said was, I will never go into journalism. That was the one thing I said <laughs> when I went, I will never go, never tell the Lord what you'll never do. That's just yes. my across-the-board advice to people. I said, I will never go into journalism. My mom had been in journalism to a certain extent, but I just had a bad taste in my mouth about journalists because I had met some, and they were just what people tend to think stereotypically about journalists. Very, very leftist, very, very nasty, some of them that I had come across, and I just didn't, I didn't like journalism. And that bothered me to some extent because I loved writing and I loved everything that journalists do. I just didn't want to be in that environment. So my first experience as a freshman, when God was turning me around on that, was reading the school newspaper, and it was all liberalism. And I remember the thought that went through my head was, Lord, I came down here to escape this. <laughs> you know, yeah. I didn't want to come down to college and have to deal with this again. I just have escaped all the liberals up in my blue state. i got to get away from this. But what that did was motivate me to reconsider the fact that maybe that was where I belonged. And that was when I ended up joining the staff of the newspaper and taking some reporting classes and then, of course, ultimately, I went into journalism as a career, and that was my main career for many years before, you know, I was doing radio on the side. But it's funny how the Lord will use even an imperfect college experience to get you where he wants you to go. And th that was a really eye-opening thing for me, especially when I look back on it now. Okay, so you were in college in the, in the 90s, right? I graduated in 1989, so I oh, was 89. in the late 80s, yeah, mid-late okay. late 80s, yep. Okay, so in Chicago, you're going to go to college. Why didn't you go to Wheaton? <laughs> well, my main reason was, I, I think, because um, I wanted to have an adventure. That's just the way I was built. I think I wanted to be able to go somewhere else. Um, my, my brothers both stayed in Illinois, and everybody was in Illinois, and I just wanted to go somewhere other than Illinois. And Wheaton College was only about half an hour from my house. <laughs> and I thought, that's, that's just not going to cut it. I want to have an adventure. I want to go on the other side of the country. My dad is from the South, and he said, well, you can stay here in the Midwest or you can go in the South. You can go somewhere in the South. And I said, I really want to go to a Christian school in the South. So Baylor it was. So you ended up getting a degree in journalism? Yes. 
I got a degree in journalism and history. All right. Well, you know, it's obvious to me, Janet, that you're very smart and you're very studious. Correct me if I'm wrong on either of those. Well, I don't know about the smart. I would classify my I would classify myself as a pretty serious bookworm. I always have been a very serious bookworm. I love to read and study, and I, I am kind of intellectually curious. Okay, so with going into journalism, and how did you escape uh, the the push to the left that's in journalism? I, I know you said that uh, that's why you didn't want to do it because it was so liberal, but. Just how did how did you keep yourself grounded and and on focused on true north as it comes to when it comes to theology and Christian worldview and that kind of thing and how did the lies not uh, infiltrate in your mind? Well, that's a great question. I I would say the, part of it was my personality that I have a tendency to be able to stand alone a little bit. So it never really bothered me a lot if if the majority was doing something different or doing something wrong. I, I'm not a tend-to-go-along-with-the-crowd sort of person by temperament. So that I, I would say that was a little bit of an advantage. But I think the bigger picture was that I had a great church down at school, a really strong church and a biblical church that preached the gospel and was really intentional about, I hate that word, but was really good, let's say, at at discipling the college kids who were in the college group, and that, that's a whole other story. And I also had some very strong Christian friends, some strong Christian roommates who were just pedal to the metal, follow Jesus, you know, radically saved, all the rest, and, and we were so, in, so I, I would say, serious about following Jesus. And, and because I had that, and I also had, you know, uh, strong Christian parents who I was very close to, and, you know, that that all helped. That all kind of tied together. And I, I think it also was a sense of, I'm here to tell the truth. I really believe in the principles of journalism, the original principles of journalism that you would find, for instance, in the Code of Ethics at the Society of Professional Journalists, which is the overarching group that kind of governs and oversees journalism. Well, not oversees so much, but they're kind of a guiding, a guiding light there. And I really believed in the ethics of fairness and balance and telling the truth and telling both sides of the story and not inserting your opinion or your own point of view into what should be factual in right. terms of a story that you're telling. So because of all those things, I think, you know, that, that, that worked in my favor, I think, in the long run. So you met Charlie and got married in what year? We were married in 1998. Okay. Um, so you grew, we were talking about parental apologetics, and so how do we pass along um, biblical truth and, and conservative biblical values to our children? You were raising your kids in the 2000s, and uh, I raised all my kids. Debbie and I had our kids in the in the 80s, and uh, our last one came in 1991. So things were really different raising kids in the 90s as opposed to you raising kids in the 2000s. Um, how did you and Charlie do it with four kids? You have four kids, one still in the nest, right? And two in college and yes. one yes. gone and gainfully and employed. And one grown, uh-huh. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, and you were you were working hard during that time. So you were a working mom. Uh, how did you juggle all that? 
Oh, boy. Well, I'm still juggling to some extent. Um, my Our oldest child actually was born in 1999, so I did a little bit of 90s parenting. <laughs> and, but you're right, mostly in the 2000s. Um, you know, most of the time starting out, I was a stay-at-home mom for a long time, and I did a lot of, um, I homeschooled for a few years. I did a lot of freelance writing on the side because that was something that I could do and still be home with my kids. And I didn't go into full-time Christian radio until my youngest daughter was just under three years old. And that that was tough because I really didn't, I, I really vacillated about whether or not to make that decision. I, I was very committed to being home with my children. And um, it worked out only because my husband's also in Christian radio. We were going to be working at the same network. My first show was going to be late afternoon. So I could be home with her most of the day. And then um, she would take a nap and we had a babysitter come and then, by the time she woke up, Daddy would be home. So it was minimal, and plus she's a real lightning, a flash of lightning. And so um, the following year, she could go into school with her siblings at her Christian school. There was an all-day program for three-year-olds, and she was dying to go. So it kind of worked out, and then midway through all of that, I was able to move my show to my house. And that made a huge difference, and so I've been home ever since. I would say, as far as raising our kids, one of the philosophies that I had very early on was I want my kids to have a Christian education, and I want them to have as much of a Christian education as they can get. And I would say that my intent as I went along was the most important years, if you have to choose when to have a Christian education, because mine was in college and I had a secular education as a kid, I would rather have my kids have a Christian education when they're little, because that's when they're forming their worldview. That's when they're really becoming the people they're going to be for life. What do they say? You are who you are by the time you're, what is it, 13 or 15? You're pretty much who you are. So I definitely wanted them to have a Christian education. That was really important. And it also was important to both of us that we made being a Christian a normal thing that we talked about all the time, and we talked about theology and the Bible. So that was important as well. Very good. Well, we're talking to Janet Mefford, the award-winning Christian radio broadcaster for a good number of years and uh, somebody who is trained in journalism, somebody who has become a good friend of mine. I love the fact that she is courageous for the Lord. Well, you're listening to Real Truth for today, and I'm your host, Pastor Jeff Shreve. We're talking about parental apologetics, teaching our kids how to defend the faith and how to know what they believe, why they believe it, and how to defend it. We're going to take a break. Don't go away. Welcome back to Real Truth for Today. I'm your host, Pastor Jeff Shreve. We're talking to journalist and award-winning Christian radio broadcaster, Janet Mefford. And we're talking about parents training their kids in the ways of the Lord. We're talking about parental apologetics. Apologetics is being able to defend the faith. And what we see in our world today in so many Christian homes, uh, the kids grow up, they learn from church and Sunday school, and they learn from mom and dad, but it can be a secondhand faith if you're not careful, mom and dad. And when they go off to college, uh, they can just get destroyed by guys with PhDs that uh, introduce all kinds of uh, liberal poison into their minds. Uh, Janet, how did you and Charlie uh, protect your kids from that? Because 
you have two at Baylor now, and, and your oldest went to Baylor too, is that right? No, she, she went to Texas Tech. Okay, that's right, that's right, mm-hmm. you told me that. Mm-hmm. So how, yep. did you, how did you protect them from the poison that they were going to encounter? Well, part of the way that we decided we were going to protect them was to continually, as you were quoting Deuteronomy 6, uh, repeating the words that God has given to us to your children. This is such an important concept. Um, all of their lives, we have prayed with them. We have taken them to church, obviously, Sunday school. We have read the Bible with them. But I wanted to do more than that all along the way, and I wanted to interact with them about the Bible. Um, sometimes that's a difficult thing to do if they're very, very small. It's a very simple conversation that you would have with them. But we would make games of it. I, I had one particular game. I, I won't say the exact name of it, but I would talk about when the kids got to, say, elementary school, junior high level, and I would say, okay, we're going to play a game. Is it biblical or is it, and I, I, I would say pagan or something like that. <laughs> so what I would do is I would put in, uh, I would say to them a particular phrase, for example, and I would say, is that what the Bible says or is that what you know, the pagan world says. For example, something like, to fulfill your destiny, you have to stay true to yourself and true to your heart. And I'd say, is that something the Bible says, or is that something somebody who's in error would say? And then they would, we would play the game back and forth. And then I would give them a Bible verse that they might not know, and I'd say, does that sound like the Bible, or does that sound like somebody who is looking to, you know, mislead you on truth? And then they would play the game, and they loved it. To this day, my kids still love playing that game. And they'll say, give us one, come on, come on, give us one, give us one. So uh, to make things fun, to incorporate sound theology, sound doctrine, and Bible verses and and getting them into the Word of God, uh, it doesn't have to be a matter of drudgery where you're sitting your kids down and they're bored, and for the next four hours we're going to make you memorize all the begats. I mean, you don't have to do that, and you also don't have to err on the other side and say the Bible's whoopee, fun all the time. No, following Jesus is denying yourself, taking up your cross and following him. It's, it's you know, selling everything to buy the pearl of great price. It's a, it's a great sacrificial life you're going to live if you're a Christian. You're signing up to be hated. You, you will be persecuted for your faith in Jesus Christ to one extent or another. It, when you take on a new master and you leave the kingdom of darkness and enter the kingdom of light, the world is going to hate you because it hates Jesus. And that's a serious thing, but at the same time... Uh, again, it's just constantly feeding the Bible into them. If it's not memorizing Scripture, it's, you know, listening. Here's another thing that we did a lot was uh, we would pl- I would play sermons in the car as I drove them around, and I drove them around a lot. I would, I would play Christian music. I would play hymns. I would play um, sometimes just the Bible itself, the Bible on tape or CD, as it, as it were. And all of those things have an effect that you don't necessarily detect until they're older. It's fun now to listen to my kids, some of whom are in their 20s, talk about, oh, Mom, when you did that, I used to love that. Or one of my children coming to me, oh, you remember that song you used to play? And she'd sing it all the way through. So there are a lot of things that you can do, I think, with your kids to just saturate them with God's truth. Um, and, And for each family, that's going to be a little bit different, but that's what we did. Well, and if you're not intentional, if you're just like, well, we're a Christian family and we go to church on Sunday and our kids are in Sunday school and and it should just work itself out. uh, Why is that? I mean, many, many parents do that. And then they wonder why their kids walk away from the faith. 
Um, You guys were very intentional. And uh, it takes that if you're going to raise godly kids. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about that, Janet. Why do you think so many parents fall into the trap of, well, it'll just take care of itself? Why is that so dangerous? Well, I think some Christian parents maybe haven't been that, that serious about their own faith coming into parenthood. And I don't mean to judge everybody who feels as if they've failed their kids, but what I mean by that is it takes conviction. It doesn't just take believing what the Bible says to handle your children correctly when it comes to uh, helping them to walk in the ways of the Lord and to be saved. The purpose in the home of parenting is not just to protect your kids and feed them and clothe them and all the basic things that all parents do. It's discipleship. And discipleship is not something you can outsource. The most important people in a child's life, obviously, are mom and dad. Nobody cares about those children more than mom and dad. It's just obvious. So it's, I think, a mistake that some Christian parents will make saying, well, as long as they're saved. You know, I sent them to VBS, and they came home, and they said, I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Great! You know, my job is done. I never have to worry about my kids again. (laughs) Ship them off to youth group. Everything will be fine. Meanwhile, you might be going to a church, unbeknownst to you, where they're teaching them wokeness in the youth group these Mm -hmm. days, or pro-LGBT. I mean, you don't know what... We know these days anything goes. You have to be very astute and very on top of things. If and when you outsource your kids to anybody for Christian instruction, you better know what they're being taught and have a relationship enough with those kids that when they come home, they'll tell you if they see anything that they know is wrong. So if you have discipleship in view... You will approach parenting and and raising your kids in the faith in a different way than if you say, my job is to get them saved, and once they're saved, God will take care of them. I don't think that's how it works. That's that's not my conviction at all. It's a long-term, I think, calling that every every Christian parent has to bring them up in the faith and to instruct them and to love them and be a good model for them along the way. Well, with our kids, you know, they sang, they would learn little songs, little children's songs. One of them was, I'm in the Lord's Army, uh, if you remember that song. (laughs) Yes. Okay, okay, they, you know, we would teach our kids that song, but we didn't necessarily hammer into them, hey, kids, a Christian is in the Lord's army, and we're to suffer mm-hmm. hardship as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. I think as the, the world gets uh, more and more crazy and uh, sinks into the abyss, Christian parents have to tell their kids early on, this is what it means to be a Christian, and yeah. Jesus is our Lord, and we are in a, in a battle, in a spiritual battle, and you can't be wishy-washy. you got to be all in, and so— uh, you know, when I was parenting, Debbie and I were parenting back in the 80s and 90s, that wasn't really the mindset. But it, if it's not the mindset now, uh, parents are going to be in serious trouble uh, because of all the influences that are there to to push your kid, uh, you know, down the slippery slope. Uh, how, did, how did you and Charlie do that, uh, Janet, when it comes to social media and phones and all that? How did you control that? Well, I have never been very, I'm, I'm not much of a traditional helicopter mom in that um, I'm monitoring every single thing my kids do, especially as they get older. It, it, it is different when they're little as opposed to when they 
are on their own. Obviously, your parenting strategies change a little bit as they get more and more independent. But I also didn't have time to monitor every single thing all four kids are doing all the time. Right. Um, what I did do was um, I, I made sure that I was kind of overall informed on what they were doing, what they were, because I would talk to them about it. Well, what are you watching? And the good thing about having four kids is if any one of them is doing something or watching something they shouldn't, <laughs> they shouldn't be watching. They get ratted out. Yeah, especially if you have girls. They love talking about, guess what so-and-so did, Mom? She was watching this. <laughs> Thankfully, there was not a lot of that. Um, there was not a lot of that in our house. And I think part of it was that when you mentioned, Jeff, that, that you had been very, um, very much concerned about telling your kids, and, and these days especially, talking to your kids about the bad influences and things they should be avoiding, uh, I started doing that, and, and this came alongside when I was doing radio full-time, so I was always knowing what was going on, and I would talk to my kids about it, particularly, for example, the LGBT issue. I wanted my kids to know. Um, before you hear it from the Internet, before you get it from TikTok, before you hear about it from kids at school, you're going to hear it from me. So let's talk about this. Let's sit down and let's read some of these passages of Scripture. Look what Romans 1 says about unnatural relations and, and what God says about um, people who abandon the truth in unrighteousness. And, and that's important. Get ahead of the world. I can't stress that enough how important it is to get ahead of the world. And I certainly am not a perfect parent. I can't sit here and say, oh, I did everything right. Just follow me. I, I didn't do everything right. My husband didn't do everything right. Um, so I wouldn't want anybody to feel discouraged. That in particular, though, I was glad that I did because now my children understand right and wrong out of conviction. They have their own conviction about, um, you know, th the Word of God is what guides our thinking and what guides our morals and what guides our lives. And that at any moment Jesus could come back and you better be ready and take life seriously and don't just mess around and squander your life. You're not going to be like the rest of the kids who might be out there partying or sleeping around or doing drugs or this or that. You know, that's wasting your life, and that, the life of the Christian is not that, and it's not getting caught up in the temporary things of life that we know are fleeting. Um, it's investing your life in a long-term journey following Jesus Christ. And, and they learn along the way, obviously, what it costs to be a Christian. The Lord is very gracious to little kids. He doesn't give them the same burdens normally that adults would have. But you'll learn in time. If you keep following Jesus, you'll see how trouble... Man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward. We yes. learn that as we walk along with him. So that's some of the stuff that we did. Mm -hmm. uh, Janet, with, with regard to sensitive subjects, you know, with, with things related to sexuality and that kind of stuff, you know, we know the world, drag queen story hour and all that, they're pushing it on real little kids. How did you judge when my child is ready to hear about LBGTQ and that thing? What was kind of the age, or was it just based on the maturity of the child? Well, it was both. I think tw 2015 was a very important time because that was when the Obergefell decision came down, and now I, I just knew, as a lot of us did, once you come up with a faux version of marriage, it's only a matter of time before now everybody has to accept the wonders of it, as it were. You know, we all have to celebrate it the same way you would celebrate the marriage of a man and a woman. 
And so, I, I, you know, we were very open. Okay, this is happening, and this is wrong. This is wickedness. And, and even though this is legal, it doesn't mean that the Christian looks upon this as right and good. It isn't. And yet, we still have to be loving and caring of individual people. And, you know, there are a lot of people who are lost and people who need the gospel. And so we've kind of approached it that way. But yeah, it varied among older to younger, because older children can handle a more direct conversation. What I think the biggest mistake that you could make is, is to ignore it and to say, oh, let's put our heads in the sand. Maybe they won't ever encounter a rainbow flag. Well, get your head out of the sand, Mom, because they will. And get ahead of the curve, get ahead of the world, and teach them what the Word of God says, because God will take it from there. You, your, your job is to you know, plant that seed and water, and God gives the growth. But you have to plant that seed. You have to be straightforward with your children, because that's what God expects of you. You, you have a duty, a, a very solemn, eternal duty to your children, and don't squander that. Well, I love the, uh, the truth that mom and dad are the disciplers for, uh, for their kids, and, and you can't shop that out to somebody else. And kids are watching, so if it's not real in mom and dad, uh, all the education in the Christian education isn't, isn't going to really work and take hold because they say, well, you're not doing it, um, yep. so it must not right. be very important. Uh, how, right. uh, Janet, how about the decision that a lot of parents are facing um, about homeschooling, homeschooling versus public schooling? How did you guys uh, tackle that one? Wow. Well, well, something I've said for years is that I am very reluctant to judge all parents by the same standard because situations are different. Um, Everybody, I don't think, is necessarily called to homeschool. I think Christian education, where you are sending them to a Christian school, can be a wonderful option. I think homeschooling is a wonderful option. But there are times when Christian parents, for one reason or another, do put their children in public school, and sometimes for very, very good reasons. And, uh, for example, if you have a family who has a child with Down syndrome, it may not be possible for the parents to be able to manage all of the things that a child with special needs would have, and the public schools would be more able to do that. Now, you have to obviously balance that with your local public school, what's going on there. There are some public schools I'd, I'd rather stick a needle through my eyeball than put my child in that public school. It depends. It really depends, and it takes a lot of wisdom. There, uh, one very, I think, oft um, non-discussed issue is sometimes your Christian school is not going to be the best option. Your Christians, depending on the school, it might be the most wonderful school in the world, but there are Christian schools that are not very good. They might not be run very well. They might not be giving your kid a good education. They might not be teaching apologetics. They might not be teaching the Bible very well. It might be super legalistic and will end up driving your child away from the church more than drawing him to it. So it takes wisdom. Um, but I love homeschooling. I, there's so many options, and you can do online schooling. There are a lot of online school options for distance learning for Christian schools, so you can choose that. Probably after COVID, people would rather uh, not go down that road. They're sick and tired of Zoom calls and all the rest. But um, moms, moms at home teaching their kids can be a great option. I did it for three years. I love doing it. In my particular case, I had three kids under, well, I had three kids under the age of four at that point. And it became tough because I had one child who climbed the walls being home all day. Um, so I, I just think that it, it really is an individual decision for the family. And just make sure that no matter which option you're 
choosing that you are the chief discipler, no matter what. Amen. We're talking to Janet Mefford. You're listening to Real Truth for Today, and I'm your host, Pastor Jeff Shreve. We're going to take a break. Don't go away. Welcome back to Real Truth for Today. I'm your host, Pastor Jeff Shreve. The Apostle Peter said, And do not fear their intimidation, and do not be troubled, but sanctify Christ. Set him apart as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account of the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. We're talking to Janet Mefford. Janet is an award-winning Christian radio broadcaster and a journalism a journalist by trade. And uh, we're talking about parental apologetics, how parents are to teach their children and train them up in the ways of the Lord and teach them the truth, disciple them so that when they go off to college, go off into the world. They are solid in their faith. They don't have mom and dad's faith. They have their own faith, and they know why they believe what they believe. Uh, Janet, let me ask you this question. As it relates to journalism, your background, in today's world, with I mean, we're just flooded with fake news. How are you able to find the truth of a story uh, when there's so many different versions of the story, and how can a person, just a uh, regular Joe, be able to know what is true and what is false as we live in this this world of fake news? Uh, AFR, first of all. <laughs> yes, you got to start there. This is this is uh, you know God's gift to to the world, Christian radio. So I think that that's that's the first place that you go because the hosts like yourself and others who are doing the heavy lifting behind the scenes, are ferreting out the fake news and bringing you the truth. So that's, that's a very important thing. I would say that it's not an easy task to sort through the fake news at all. I did some of this, for example, during COVID. There was a time, and you will remember this, Jeff, when there were a number of news sites who were basically blaming all the spread of COVID on churches. Do you remember that? Nobody yeah. else had any sort of responsibility for super spreader events except churches. And it was a joke because I, I would take some of those stories and I would dig down deeper into what they were reporting, and I would discover that they had absolutely no basis for blaming the church. For example, there was one story where a young girl had died of COVID, and they reported that she had been to the youth group a few days before, and was this a super spreader event, etc. Well, no one else, uh, according to their reports, came down with COVID. You have to look at things like how long it takes between uh, being infected or being exposed to COVID versus coming down with symptoms versus how long it takes you to, you know, to, to, for the infection to spread. And it, none, none of it added up. And then, you know, but, but just blame the church and walk away. It, it was ridiculous. So it's sometimes a matter of taking what they're reporting and taking it apart and recognizing that they're just lazy at best and ideologues at worst. And I think one place that has been a good place for me to find better information has been social media, has been a place like Twitter. When you discover who people are on Twitter who work in news, uh, maybe conservative or Christian news sources, you can kind of ferret out who are really, really good at what they're doing and are presenting facts and not their opinions. But it does take some heavy wading through those 
muddy waters of fake news. This is not a golden age of journalism. It's a golden age of yellow journalism at a time when we desperately need good journalism. So, you know, hats off to AFR and, and all of the other people who are actually telling the truth. There aren't a lot of us out there. No, there really are not. And uh, one of the things I love about you, Janet, is that you're bold in what you believe in, and you're not you're not afraid to to get out there, even though you get shot at for doing that. Uh, somebody had said uh, it's really sad in Christianity today, especially with pastors, that we have a lot of guys that uh, just don't want to uh, to step out. Uh, we have very few pastors as bold as Tucker Carlson. I don't know where Tucker Carlson is spiritually. I don't know if he's a believer or not. But you have guys like Tucker Carlson, guys like Ben Shapiro, and it's like, hey, pastors ought to be on the front lines of that. Uh, tell me your opinion of that, and, and how do you see the pastorate as far as these issues and guys wanting to be nuanced and, and careful? Uh, talk about that. I need another hour, if you want me to talk about that. (laughs) All right, I'll try to condense it. I think it's despicable. I think it's despicable that we don't have more big-name pastors who are bolder than Tucker Carlson, bolder than Ben Shapiro, you know, braver than James Lindsay. Some of these people have made names for themselves standing up against wokeness and, and all of the rot in politics right now and the global elite. I think that, unfortunately... In the last several decades, we have entered into a time in the institutional church where it's more important for people to have a brand than it is to have boldness as far as proclaiming the gospel and applying the Bible to the world and especially, you know, shepherding the sheep the way Christ has called them to do. For too many pastors, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. Some have said we don't have as many good men going into the ministry as we used to. Now, I can't, that's an anecdotal observation, but if you look at some of these statistics on well-respected professions, it's undoubtedly uh, undoubtedly the truth that, that the clergy has fallen down the charts in terms of respectability because there have been so many scandals and, you know, embezzlement and affairs and plagiarism and abuse and all the other things that we're inundated with. I think what really it comes down to, Jeff, is that if you are going to stand up for the truth of God's Word and boldly proclaim the Word of God to bear on your culture, you're going to pay a price. We have seen in the last several years how serious it's getting out there. We have seen the censorship online for people who dare to even question the vaccine or dare to question the narrative on the lockdowns or any of the things we've dealt with during the pandemic. Now we're seeing the FBI raid a former president's residence and office. It, it's, we're in unbelievable times. And, and so I think for a certain number of men in the ministry, that scares them. And they're more concerned about saving their churches or saving their ministries mm-hmm. or feeding their families than they are about being really bold at a time when we desperately need men to be bold. So those guys have got to repent of their cowardice, and they've got to, if they do have conviction about the Word of God and about the truth of God's Word, then they need to start acting like it, because there are an awful lot of Christians out there who are crying out, they're sheep without a shepherd, as Jesus used to talk about. We, increasingly, a lot of us are feeling that way. Um, and like I said, I could go on for another hour about it, but I just pray, 
I pray, and I need to pray more, that the Lord will raise up more men who will be willing to do what is necessary in the times that we're in. The men of Issachar come to mind, you know? Mm-hmm. They, they knew what to do. They knew what the times demanded. And we need more men like that, and we need to encourage the ones who are like that to press on. Well, I've always maintained that if, if a person is not hearing from the pulpit, what does God say about these issues that everyone's talking about? Transgenderism, LGBTQ, uh, you know, on and on and on. Uh, where are they going to hear it? And, you know, if mom and dad aren't discussing those issues with children, and, and Janet, you, you know very well that a lot of Christian parents, they don't, really, they don't really go there with their kids. It's too awkward, or I don't know what to say. Well, then all they're getting is stuff from they they hear on TV or or the the songs they listen to, the friends they talk to. I mean, all of that is being pushed down their throats. And so little wonder when kids go off to college, they end up walking away from God, hating America. um, And, you know, they just buy the, the liberal worldview, lock, stock and barrel. How do parents... Uh, protect their kids, especially as they go off. Maybe they're in a church where they're not hearing the truth on a regular basis. How do they protect them from that? Well, you know, it's funny, Jeff, when you were talking about the word nuance, which I didn't address in the previous segment when I was talking about this, I can't think of one great person in the Bible whose (laughs) primary characteristic was nuance. Can you? Or winsomeness. I, I'm so sick and tired of hearing that. Listen, we are called to have the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. We, we know what the, the fruit of the Spirit is, and, and that's obvious. But nuance, no. Um, when you send your kids off to school or you send your kids off to a youth group or what have you, in a sense, you know, you're not there. You can't be there unless you want to be a weird parent sitting in the corner and then your child is completely embarrassed. You can't be there. The work that you have to do in your child's life as a discipler and as a mom or a dad has to be done before they ever get there. And it has to be done when they come home. And there have to be conversations before they go and conversations after they go. And there needs to be, I think, also a really good relationship between you and your child. A child who feels safe with mom or dad, trusted, loved no matter what is more likely to open up than a child who feels judged a child who feels scolded all the time or is really being beaten to death with legalism how you treat your child in the daily home life that you have together is going to have an awful lot to do with their willingness to accept what you're telling them about god and and that's just a fact and i think that's terrifying for every christian parent because we know that we fall short of the glory of god also and there are times when you have to say to your child, I, I messed up, please forgive me. Yes. I sinned, please forgive me. I, I, sh- I should have done this differently or I should have modeled this other thing differently. So do your work at home and then pray, 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 pray for them mm-hmm. as they go out into the world. We, we sometimes think of prayer as the last best thing you can do. It's actually the first best thing you can do Amen. is pray for your children all the time. Well, and people need to realize good marriages don't just happen. You have to work at it. 
good families don't just happen. You have to work at it. And some kids, you have four, I have three. Some kids are much harder to parent than other kids. Some kids are real compliant and some kids are strong-willed and it takes a lot more work. Yes, I have. We have two of each. <laughs> we have a good balance. We have two pretty strong-willed children, and we have two who are rather um, even-keeled and more compliant by nature. And and that's actually a lot of fun because who wants cookie-cutter kids? It's nice to see the, the different strengths and the different personalities, and how God loves all four of them and has worked in all of their lives as Christians. Um, it yeah, I, I just think that it's important to remember that. It, you do have to look at the long-term goal when we think about fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. When we see all the references in Scripture about the race that we're running and, and we want to obtain the prize, all of these things are things we ought to be keeping in mind. You're not just getting through the day. You're getting through the rest of your life and remembering that those kids and the influence you have on those kids is going to last for the rest of theirs. So invest wisely. You wouldn't take all your money, hopefully, if you knew anything about the stock market, and put it in penny stocks, because that's just, <laughs> that's right. you might as well just have a bonfire and throw all your money. You wouldn't do that. So you don't want to just throw everything, caution to the wind with your kids either. You have to think it through. You have to pray for them. You have to have your own strong relationship with the Lord. And then that relationship that you have with Christ is going to rub off on them. Amen. Okay, one last question, Janet. You had your oldest went to Texas Tech, so a state school, and then the two middles are at Baylor University. Uh, let's talk about the different kind of education they're getting at a quote-unquote Christian school versus a state school. Well, I would say that um, Texas Tech actually is very conservative politically, and so that that is not as important as being a Christian school, obviously, but it did make a difference in terms of atmosphere as opposed to going to some super woke school. <laughs> Texas Tech is not woke in the way that maybe an Ivy League school would be or a state school might be. Um, but my daughter was able to meet a lot of Christian friends there. She got a, a good church that she went to out there. Um, the other two, they will have religion classes. They do have chapel. They have had some good teachers. They have had some good material. Sometimes they have had some not-so-good material. And when they've had some not-so-good material, they call me or text me. We've had some hilarious exchanges, actually, about some of the things that have come up in their classes. And what is good to me is seeing them develop discernment, Uh, all three of them, developing discernment. Oh, this professor was teaching this, or this professor was saying that. that. That really thrills my heart, because when you begin to develop your discernment as a Christian, training and discernment is very important, as Scripture says, then you're getting an independent adult who's coming along as a Christian, and there's a baton being passed off. Okay, you're, you're really getting wiser and wiser as a Christian. You're seeing these things. When somebody says X, your antenna go up. Okay, uh, when you talk about, for example, as one professor taught my son and mentioned in class one day, a religion professor, that Jesus was African-American. <laughs> um, <laughs> He's not. He's Jewish. He's from the Middle East. He was not African-American. But but it kind of was an interesting moment to be able to discuss that through with him and have him say, why would they be teaching that? Do they not read the Bible? I said, no, uh, maybe they read another Bible, another version. Those sorts of moments are gold. And those are the kinds of moments that hopefully if you're really discipling your kids, 
you'll see that happen more and more, and that's a great joy. Amen. Well, we've been talking today to Janet Mefford. Janet, I enjoyed it so much. Thank you for sharing your wisdom and your experiences uh, as a wife, as a mom, as a working mom, and uh, raising four godly kids. We're talking about discipleship in the home, coming from mom and dad. Be encouraged today. Listen, nobody does it all completely right as a parent, but we can look to the Lord. He can give us strength. He can give us grace. And as Janet said, pray, pray, pray for your kids. And God will respond as you look to Him. Hey, go out today, shine and share, and make a difference. God bless.